blot out our transgressions. Wash us thoroughly from our iniquities and cleanse us from our sin. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within us. Restore to us the joy of our salvation and sustain in us in us. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> went to the cross he gathered his disciples in the upper room 
he spent time with him one last time before going to the cross. During that time, he revealed to them something that they should continue to do. To keep in front of them a remembrance of the cross. To continually remind them of what he was about to endure and suffer on their sake. Behalf of all the Christians. Behalf of all the Christ followers. Followers, God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. He taught them that his body was going to be broken. Not bones shattered, but his life was going to be taken from him. And he was going to lay down his life. As part of Christ laying down his life for us, his blood would be poured out. We read in the accounts in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it flowed out. So on Good Friday, when we gathered together to remember our Savior, Jesus Christ, and what he accomplished for us, we would be very remiss if we didn't take time to break the bread and take of the cup. Now, you may have come here tonight to kind of find out what Good Friday services are all about. This is not a normal, I think if you talk to people around you, type of service that we conduct. But this is a service that remembers a specific event, Christ's death on our behalf. And so we're going to take communion a little bit differently tonight. And if you're here tonight and you're wondering what this is all about, you have not trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I'm not going to stand up here and, and filter and say, you know, you can't take it and you can't take it. This is a place for you to be honest where you're at with God. And if you've not trusted in Jesus Christ and you want to just come and hear about Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. We're excited to spend time with you. This is for the children of God. And if you have kiddos with you this evening, we are so glad they're here. But if they have not trusted in Jesus Christ, we ask that you prevent your kiddos from taking the Lord's Supper. And that you use this opportunity tonight to go home and to share with them, this is why you couldn't take it, because you have not trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have not made that confession with your mouth and trusted Him in your heart that He is the God, the Christ, the King. The way we're going to take communion a little bit differently here tonight is we're going to have you come forward. We're going to have you file up individually. And there's bread up here. And those of you who have a gluten allergy, we have both loaves of bread are gluten-free. And take a piece and tear it off. Now, we've got a good number of people here. Try not to tear half a loaf. Tear off a small piece. I'm going to be holding the, the chalice. Dunk it in the chalice. Some of you may, if you've ever been, you know, Catholic days or something like this, maybe giving a little flashback at this point. And we're going to personally tell you tonight, Christ's body was broken and his blood was shed for you. And we're going to take time to do this. It's that important. So please don't feel rushed. If you need to spend some time praying with the Lord, spend some time drawing close to Him. Maybe there's some things that you need to confess before Him right now. As you are doing that prayer of confession with the body, you realize there's some things in your heart that aren't sitting right. And you need to confess those before the Lord. You need to spend some time. Take that time, please. Before we do this, I just want to pray for us. Please join with me in prayer. Holy God. Father Almighty, before the creation of the world, before you even spoke the earth into existence, the skies, the heavens, the waters, the seas, the 
the birds, the animals, humankind, you knew. You knew that by this act of creation, it was going to cost you your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And yet you spoke. And you very intimately and powerfully breathed life into Adam. Breathed life into Eve. And you created them, Lord God, in your image. Lord God, you knew full well Adam and Eve would rebel and sin against you. And that mankind would fall into sin and remain in sin without hope until the coming of Jesus Christ. And then with Jesus Christ was brought hope. And yet, Lord God, you still tarried, desiring many to come to believe. Father God, I pray that tonight as we take of these elements, that our hearts would be touched by the incredible sacrifice our Savior Jesus made on behalf of us. Father, for our sin was something we couldn't pay, and we knew that. We were born into this world sinners, and we confess that to you, and we know that. And you intervened on our behalf by sending your perfect Son, Jesus Christ. He laid down his life for us. He took our sin upon him. He became our sin. And the wrath of God was poured out upon him so that we might be called children of God. We might be part of the family of God. And Lord, as we remember this incredible, powerful, wonderful sacrifice and gift that has been given to us, Lord, we take of these elements. Work in us, Lord God, tonight. In Jesus' name we pray and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Martin, can I get you to join me up here, brother? Is that okay? Martin's going to hold one of the chalices, and I'm going to hold the other one. We ask that you just form two single-file lines, one here and here. An elderly man stares at the name on a white cross, stone white cross, marking where Captain John H. Miller was laid to rest. Captain Miller's final words still haunt the elderly man. Earn this. Earn this, James. Private First Class James Ryan was alive because the Army had sent Captain Miller's Ranger Company to find Ryan and bring him home safely because his three other brothers had died in combat. and He was the only male survivor left in his family. The price to bring him home was high. The lives of six Rangers. The words still echoing in his mind, the elderly James Ryan turns to his wife and tells her, tell me I am a good man. Tell me I have lived a good life. His wife seems shocked by his request. She has no idea who Captain John Miller is, nor why in front of his grave, James is seeking confirmation of his good life. James needs someone to affirm that the lives lost for the sake of his were worth it. It is a ridiculous request to think that his wife, with a few words, could confirm that their deaths were not in vain or that her opinion would render a godlike verdict. Yet James, who carried this burden his whole life, wondering if he'd earned the right to live, needed this affirmation desperately, as death would soon overtake him. The final words of Captain Miller, though well-intended, 
seem absurd and almost cruel. Placing a ridiculous, lifelong burden upon James Ryan. How could he ever live up to it? How could he ever know if he had earned this? How could he ever know if he had earned the right to live though others died? As I ponder this dilemma, I am actually angered by the burden Captain Miller placed upon PFC Ryan. It was so unnecessary for James Ryan to have to live with that burden. But yet, as I think about it, I recognize that I often unnecessarily burden myself with that burden of trying to earn the life that Jesus has given to me. Jesus never once said, never ever did he ever say, earn this. Yet I find myself over and over again trying to earn, trying to purchase, or somehow break even for the sacrifice that was made for me. That was made for us. As I talk with others, both not yet believers and believers alike, I discover I am not alone. It is a war within ourselves as we hear our minds say, earn this. How can we ever repay or earn the death that Jesus died for? What could we possibly do to earn the life that is freely given to us that came as a result of his death? Yet for some reason, we try. And with great futility, we try. Why is it our attempts are so futile and absurd? It has everything to do the celebration of this event as we reflect upon Jesus Christ to the cross. Join with me on this journey looking back to what Christ has done for us and accomplished on our behalf. We begin this journey in the Garden of Gethsemane the night Jesus was arrested. The extreme suffering began there. The disciples were to watch over him while he prayed. Jesus had requested them to stand guard, to stand watch. He needed them to have his back, to be there with him. He needed a friend. They failed him. They fell asleep. Falling to the ground, Jesus prayed three times, greatly troubled. So much so that in the Gospel of Luke, it speaks of sweating tears of blood. He knew what was to come. He did not want to drink the wrath of God. But he submitted to the will of God to be the one who would die so others might live. No one in the history of mankind was about to suffer like him. No one in the history of mankind had ever lived without ever making a single mistake. Except for Jesus, the truly innocent one. The time in the garden ended with Judas betraying Jesus. Jesus was a hard one to like and probably brought tension amongst the group of disciples as he was the one in charge of the money. Scriptures tell us that he stole money from the disciples and from that pot of money that he was to guard and protect. He also was the self-designated expert in money. And when others spent money poorly or ways that he didn't think was right, he was quick to let others know. He betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, paid to him by the religious leaders. He signaled the high priest's guards that night 
as the guards entered into the garden. Judas met him and greeted him with a kiss, the kiss of a friend, the kiss of a betrayer. The guards moved in and arrested Jesus. And Judas, for the greed and love of money, betrayed the greatest friend he had ever had. The rest of Jesus' friends, fearful, afraid, abandoned him. He was alone. Jesus was escorted out of the garden that night into Jerusalem where he would face an illegally conducted trial. The violations began with Jesus being illegally arrested at night and not formally charged of any offense. Jesus then was illegally examined at a secret night proceeding before the morning sacrifice. No court proceedings, no arrests were supposed to take before the morning sacrifice. The indictment against Jesus was false. And in the Sanhedrin, the the group of ruling religious leaders, the court, that Jesus stood before, they illegally held its trial before sunrise as well. They also violated the law as they convened a capital case on a day before an annual Sabbath. This Sabbath is a special Sabbath as it takes place before the Passover. They illegally concluded the case because capital cases, offenses, must be tried over multiple days in order to prevent exactly what happened to Jesus from taking place. Jesus was illegally condemned because the merits of the defense were not even considered once. The Sanhedrin illegally convened because not all of its members were present, and this was necessary in regards to a capital case. Jesus' sentence was illegally pronounced because he wasn't even announced in a court of law, but in the home of the high priest. The members of the Sanhedrin themselves were in violation of the law and should have been recused. And finally, since the religious leaders did not want the crowds mad at them for killing Jesus, they illegally changed the charge from blasphemy to sedition. The Jewish leaders could execute Jesus for blasphemy, for violating the Jewish law. But sedition, opposing the Caesar, only the Romans put to death for that. Jesus absorbed their strikes to his face. He did not retaliate when they spit upon him. He did not refute their lies, rhetoric, abuse of the law, and manipulation of the system. That night, as Christ was being condemned illegally, by a false court, Jesus was experiencing another set of pains that went deep. As one of his closest disciples, Peter, went out that night and being spotted in Jerusalem and questioned whether he was a follower of Jesus Christ. Three different times he emphatically denied Jesus Christ as his Savior. The very same one that we credit and so rejoicingly resound. The one who said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This one, in an equation to basically an F-bomb, drops it and says, he is not my leader. He is not my rabbi. Jesus, knowing all of this, continues on. As Jesus was transferred that night from the Jewish courts to the Roman courts, 
Pilate met with him and began to question him and began to see that there was nothing that was even remotely seditious about this Jesus. In an attempt to appease the people, and there was a tradition that took place during this time, that at this time they would release one criminal. And I think that if Pilate reasoned in his mind that if he just found a criminal bad enough, then the people surely would choose to give Jesus life versus this criminal. And so he calls out Barabbas, a violent criminal, a man who had hurt and devastated the people, had stolen from them, abused them. And instead of crying out Christ's name, they cried out, Barabbas, give us Barabbas. The innocent Jesus watched the guilty Barabbas go free. A very painful yet beautiful picture of what exactly happens for us. The one deserving punishment is released while the innocent is about to be flogged and crucified. Yet Jesus remains silent, not pleading or begging, not lamenting how unfair life is, and not cursing the released one, Barabbas. Only a week earlier, Jesus heard the same voices that once sang out, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Those same voices are screaming out, not in a joyous, loving, and excited tone, but in a hate-filled rage. Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate, knowing his innocence, in an attempt to peace the crowd once more, had Jesus led away to be beaten. Roman soldiers were experts in torture. Christ's beating would have gone something like this. The first whip that would have crossed his back would have been a whip that at the ends of it were lead balls. The intention of those lead balls was to bruise the flesh and the skin, to break the capillaries underneath the skin, to tenderize the meat, if you will. So that when they reached for the cat of nine tails, a whip with strands of metal and glass attached to the end, because of the beating that Jesus had already incurred, when those ripped into his flesh, blood would burst forth. The skin would hang loosely. Open gaping wounds on his back, buttocks, legs, abdomen, chest, thighs, and arms. In many places, strands of flesh pulled away from his body, hanging loosely, and blood streamed from the open wounds and pulsated with every heartbeat. On the verge of death, The soldiers kept him just barely alive. They placed a crown of thorns upon his head and beat them on with a limb. They draped a purple cloak, the color of royalty, upon his torn up, shredded back. Blood and flesh began to adhere to it As they mocked Jesus, behold, the king of the Jews knelt down and worshipped him in mockery. Pilate called for Jesus to be brought forth. Before they led him out to Pilate, the guards once again grabbed hold of the cloak and ripped it from his back. His blood poured forth fresh again. 
Pilate, hoping the crowds have had enough when they saw Jesus, when they saw him standing before them. And Pilate, in an attempt to show them how he has been humiliated and and just reduced to rubble, brings forth Jesus and says, Behold your king. Hopefully intending that they might see Jesus in his humiliated state, that they might stop their incessant cries, Crucify him! Crucify him! But the crowd completes its utter rejection of Jesus with the statement, We have no king but Caesar. Barely able to stand, the true king begins the journey towards the place of the skull. His body is failing, weakened. He is unable to carry the load of his own cross. One joins him in this journey, pressed into service, Simon of Cyrene, and he carried this object of humiliation with Jesus to Golgotha. Jesus was condemned to die in the most horrific way, crucifixion. It was a death penalty reserved for the worst of criminals. Humiliating, painful, excruciating. Arriving at Golgotha, the soldiers took Jesus' outer garment, divided it into four pieces. And then they took his undergarment. Naked before the world, Jesus was crucified. What made crucifixion such a horrible death? Why was it the ultimate act of torture reserved for the worst of criminals? I offer the following description to you of what took place to the body during crucifixion. Upon reaching where the crucifixion would occur, the victim was laid on the crossbeam that he had carried with his arms outstretched. Then the soldier drove a five-inch iron nail through each of his wrists into the crossbeam. And after being nailed to the crossbeam, the victim was hoisted up by a rope. The crossbeam was dropped into a notch atop of the upright post. When the crossbeam dropped into the groove, the victim suffered excruciating pain as his hands and his wrists were wrenched by the sudden jerking motion. Then the weight of his body caused his arms to be pulled out of their sockets. Once the victim's wrists were secured in place on the crossbeam, the feet came next. First, the legs were positioned so that the feet were pointed downward with the soles pressed against the post on which the victim was suspended. A long nail would then be driven between the bones of the feet, lodging firmly enough between those bones to prevent it from tearing through his feet. In order to breathe, the victim had to push himself up by these nails pierced feet. With unbearable pain, he could only lift up for breath moments at a time. Push up. Breathe. Collapse down. Push up. Breathe. Collapse down. Again and again, until finally the shoulders were dislocated along with the wrists and elbows. The victim's arms and muscles would begin cramping terribly and make it impossible for them to no longer be able to pull themselves upwards any longer to breathe. 
Jesus experienced all of this torture. When he dropped down with full weight of his body on the nails that were driven through his wrists, it sent horrific, excruciating pain up his arms to register in his brain. Added to this torture was the agony caused by the constant grating of Jesus' recently scourged back. Against the upright post, every time he pushed up to breathe and then collapsed back down to hanging position again. Due to extreme blood loss and hyperventilation, Jesus began to experience severe dehydration. And after several hours of this torment, his heart began to fail. Next, his lungs collapsed and excess fluids began to begin filling the lining of his heart and lungs. And slowly, he began to drown to death. As Jesus went through this horrific, nightmarish, excruciating event, what was taking place in Jesus' heart and mind? The authors of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John so graciously and wonderfully by the power of the Holy Spirit give us insight into what our Savior was thinking and feeling as his body was being brutalized. His words during this time confirm that he was without hatred or anger for those he was sacrificed for. He didn't hate you and he didn't hate me. He didn't hate the Roman guards and he didn't hate the Jews that crucified him. We first read of the first statement that Jesus makes as he is being placed upon the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus petitions and requests of the Father to not hold against those, their actions that day. For those who trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior, to not hold our sins against us, because each one of us were present in our sins as, we, as those nails were driven through his wrists and his feet. As he was beaten, it was us who cast those things upon Jesus to cause that event that day. And he says, Father, forgive them. Jesus is not only fulfilling the will of the Father and being obedient unto him, look at him as a son. Upon the cross, he looks down, and the beloved disciple, John, is standing next to his mother. In a wonderful and loving and powerful way, Jesus touches the heart of his mother by saying, Mom, behold your son. As he gives Mom, his mother, Mary, and responsibility over to John, and John is now to be the caretaker of his mother. As Jesus was the elder son and was tasked with this. Mocking voices rang out from the ground and the thieves kneeled next to him until one of those thieves came to realize that Jesus was innocent. This thief asked Jesus to remember him when he enters into his kingdom. And Jesus, love pours forth. Please don't miss these words. Our Savior pushing up to to breathe and to speak and falling and collapsing back down, turns to this man and he says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. It's noon. And darkness covers the land if it's, it's midnight. If you think it's dark in here, 
you have no idea. If you've been ever out on mountains or you're far away from cities or in battle zones in Iraq and Kuwait and you're far away from any lights and everything is pitch black, you can't even see the hand in front of your face. It was midday, it was noon, but it was like it was midnight. The extreme dehydration that Jesus experienced caused him to cry out, I thirst. But as I hear Christ's words and I think about what he was going through at these moments, the weight of the sin, our sin being placed upon him as he became our sin, the separation between God the Father and God the Son, this barrier in communication, barrier in relationship that is taking place. He thirsts much more than for liquid and water. Three hours later, a loud cry is heard. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We can't imagine this. But the triune God, one God, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, perfectly loving one another in perfect communion, in perfect harmony forever. At this split moment in history, God the Father and God the Son have a rift in their relationship because the Father cannot look upon sin Jesus has become sin. He's become our sin. The true devastation of the cross has taken place. Jesus succumbs to the spiritual and physical agony. And he finally cries and proclaims to the world the work that he has done The work that he has come to do is complete. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. Jesus says, it is finished. One word to tell us die. It is accomplished. The work is done. And at that moment, scriptures tell us that the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the other places in the temple was torn into a huge, massive, thick curtain was torn into at that moment. As now, because of Christ's death, the work of our sins being forgiven is accomplished and we have direct access to the throne of God. It says there was a great earthquake at that time. The ground shook. The physical realm of this world encountered the spiritual realm in a massive way. As graves were opened and people were resurrected. The work is accomplished. The work is finished. Jesus paid the price of our sin. Nothing was left to be done. Can you imagine how doomed we would be if Jesus' final words on the cross to us were earnest? It's an impossibility. We're born into this world as sinners. We make mistakes. We miss the mark. We do wrong things and hurtful things to each other. It would mean that the world would be condemned. And it would mean there would be no hope ever of attaining life. But instead, his final words were, It is finished. The work is complete. There's nothing that you nor I can ever do to earn this. The work for your salvation and my salvation for our soul is complete. It is an absolute absurdity to think 
we could ever earn or pay Jesus back for the cross. No, Jesus doesn't say earn this. He tells us to receive this gift, to accept his gift for us. See, life in Christ is something that is freely given with no strings attached or gotcha moments. Please hear me on this. He doesn't offer it. And then we realize that we need now to do good works to secure it. Or get baptized to ensure it. Or take communion to seal the deal. His work is complete. And when we receive that work, there is nothing we can ever do to earn it. He suffered and died so that we would not be placed underneath a burden of payment again. We are debt free in regards to our sin. If we are children of God. He turns to us and he tells us, go and live debt-free lives. And one that lives debt-free doesn't go run and finance a house or finance a car, but lives free from debt. And since we are spiritually free, we don't once again live under the bondage of paying our sin debt, and it's paid. Jesus says, go and sin no more. So what if So if what Jesus offers is a gift, then how do we receive that gift? The story of Jesus written by John says we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and we believe in the work he accomplished for us. In that belief, we confess we are people who make mistakes and do things that are wrong and that Jesus took those sins upon him on the cross and completed the work of our forgiveness. And since he paid the debt of our sin and gives us life, he is our king and he reigns in our lives. Jesus has every right to seek out every area of your heart and your life. He paid the debt so that we might have life. As I think about James Ryan in that field, my heart breaks for him. He can never earn it. He will die trying and brokenhearted. If only Captain Miller had said, you've been given a great gift. Go. Enjoy life and live it to the fullest. Jesus Christ died so that we may not be underneath the burden and debt of our sin any longer and may have this most abundant life now and an eternal, perfect life to come. And this is available for us right now. The question for you on this Good Friday is why are we refusing to surrender? Why are we refusing to surrender all of our heart to Jesus? Why do we keep things locked away from him and keep pushing him away? He did all of this for us. Why are we still justifying our sin? Why are we still holding on to the things that keep us from drawing close to him? Things of bitterness and anger and resentment. We, We justify ourselves. If anyone had right to be angry, bitter, resentful, it was Jesus. But instead, he he turns to the thief who once mocked him and says, today you will be with Mary in paradise. He turns to the soldiers that just drove the nails through his hands and he says, Father, forgive them. He turns to us and he says, I have just paid your debt. It is finished. Now let me give this life to you. Jesus is calling 
for us to surrender all of our lives to him. If you have not done that, if you have not surrendered your life to him, if you have not trusted in him tonight, let tonight be that night, this Good Friday 2016, that you celebrate this day and you understand why this day is good. And for my brothers and sisters that are in this room, let's stop holding on to that sin. Let's call sin, sin. And let's stop harboring it in our hearts and justifying it. And let's surrender our lives to the King of Kings who paid our debt so we can live an abundant and amazing life in Him. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, I thank You I thank you that you have provided this way to be a part of your family. I thank you that you held nothing back from us. For Jesus, our Savior, knowing full well what it would mean for him to go to the cross He went. Scripture tells us it was for his love for us, for the Father, and for the joy. He endured the suffering and the shame and the sorrow of the cross. Father, we have no right hold ourselves back from you when you have offered up everything for us. Forgive us, Lord. Convict our hearts. Lord, please may your spirit be poured out upon us tonight that you would grab hold of our hearts. Don't let up, please, Lord. Please don't let up. In Jesus' name we pray. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. To see the King of Heaven fall in anguish to His knees, the light and hope of all the world now overwhelmed with grief what nameless horrors must he see to cry out in the garden oh take this God for 
Isaiah 53, 3 through 5. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was put his soul makes an offering for our guilt. He shall see his offspring, and he shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied, and by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquity. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his death, soul to death, and was numbered with the transgressions. Yet he before bore the sin of many, and makes intercession.
joining us this evening. The good news is he doesn't stay in the grave. And we're going to, you think this was loud? Wait till Easter Sunday morning. Because it's going to get really loud in this place as we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. Sometimes we skip over this night a little too quickly. I just ask that you go out of here tonight pondering and thinking upon how amazing your Savior is and what He has done for you and thinking upon some area of your life where you need to surrender. Surrender. 